Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Trumpets were used to tell people it's time to go, it's time to go to war. So trumpets were to arrest our attention. And as John is here, the first way he hears God's voice is as a trumpet. God arrests his attention. And I would ask all of us here, does God have your attention? How often does God have your attention? Because a couple ways God can have your attention. You can just give it to him. You can wake up Monday morning and say, it's time for me to have time with the Lord. I'm giving God my attention. Does your spouse or someone in your family ever ask you that question? Do I have your attention? It's a sign of caring and even love to give someone your undivided attention. It says, I care about what you have to say. In his message today, Pastor Bill will challenge you to give your attention to God. How often do you take time out of your day to listen to God? Do you take time to pray and read your Bible with the intention of hearing from God? Fix your eyes on God today. He might just want to tell you something. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, as he begins his message, A Picture of Jesus. We started the book of Revelation. Uh, We did an introduction to the book, and we covered the first eight verses. And a few things that we said in that opening study, which you can go back and look at if you missed it, uh, we looked at the name. So the book of Revelation, for those that used to say Revelations, um, it's not with the S, amen? It's, uh, it's just Revelation. So it's the book of Revelation. The name means uh, the unveiling. And so the book of Revelation, the goal of the book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So like no other book in the Bible, this book is unveiling to us who Jesus is. Even though the gospels show us Jesus on earth and what he was doing, the book of Revelation even reveals more than that of who he is um, as we go. So one thing that I'll do is every study, I want to highlight as we go through the chapters and as we go through the verses, what's this telling me about Jesus? What's being unveiled or uncovered about Jesus in this section? So we learned uh, that this book is unique. And that it's the only book in the Bible that has uh, God has pronounced a blessing on the one that reads it, hears it, and keeps the words of it. That's in chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, from there, we'll pick up in verse 9. So everybody have Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to cover verses 9 through 20. And I titled the message today, Picture of Jesus. Uh, We're going to get an image, a picture of the glorified Lord in this chapter. And we'll see that the image that we're given It's not so much to show us what he looked like, but to show us what he's like. So the picture that you've seen your whole life of Jesus is not Jesus. Y'all know that? That's not what he looked like. He didn't have a perfect forked beard and long flowy hair. That's not Jesus. Some believe that that picture is actually Michelangelo's boyfriend. I won't go there. Um, But suffice it to say, that's not Jesus. We don't have a picture of Jesus yet. Whenever we see someone with that image, it's like, oh, that's, that's Jesus. That looks like Jesus. That's not what he looked like. So I don't like false images. I don't, I don't like that. So that's why you'll never see me putting up pictures of Jesus. I don't even like Christian paraphernalia with the Jesus picture because I'm like, that's not what he looked like, you know? And here's my point on that. In all the scripture, this is God saying I'm revealing everything I want you to know about who I am, what I want you to do, what I want you to know. Think of all the people that God did describe in the scriptures, that we know something about what they look like. Uh, We know that um, Zacchaeus was short. 
We know that Samson had long hair. We know that Esau was hairy with red hair. We knew that uh, Joseph was handsome and, and well-built. We know that Rachel was beautiful in appearance. We know that Leah made your eyes hurt. Um, all these people, that's what it says. Y'all can read it. All these people we got descriptions about and information on, yet Jesus doesn't give us anything about what he looked like. And this is why I believe that's the case, that it's not important what he looked like. What's important is what he did. Amen. And most people and most cultures have taken Jesus and made him their own. So if you look at pictures, there's white Jesus, there's Latin Jesus, I've seen Asian Jesus, I've seen Afrocentric dreadlock Jesus. Every culture has said, he's ours, he's ours. And Jesus said, look, this is how I want you to remember me. Broken body, shed blood, because that's for everybody. Amen? And so I prefer that, so I don't like the pictures. Um, but today we're going to get a picture of Jesus, the picture he gave us of him. And we'll see as we go through it that it's not so much, again, what he looked like, but most of what's described tells us what he's like, what he does. Um, so we're going to get that today as we go through this chapter. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you guys remember from our introduction, this book is written by John the Apostle. Um, it's Church history tells us that there was an attempt to boil him alive that failed. And so because he was, they, I mean, it boiled him alive and it didn't work. He didn't die. Then they exiled him to Patmos. This was a common place where they would exile prisoners. And basically when they left you at Patmos, you were going to be there until you died. And so for John, he's exiled to Patmos um, because he didn't die when they tried to boil him. And he's here. And this is where God gives him his greatest revelation ever. Um, as he's exiled to this island, God's not done with him yet. He's old. He's over 90 years old at this time. That's old. Um, you know, I don't offend nobody that's 40, you know. Um, but he's old in age and God's still not done with him yet. So maybe somebody old needs to be reminded that. God will use you until you go be with him. Amen. Don't let anybody convince you that you're too old. There's at every stage of life, there's something God will do because God works in the spirit. And God will work through a little child, through a teenager, through a 20-something, through a 30-something, through a 50-something, through a 104-year-old. God's never done with you. Sometimes we get done with him, but God's not done with us. And so if you're here and you're moving and breathing, God's not done with you. Amen. John's 100-something years old. He's exiled to this island. Um, this is how he relates to us. Now, this is a big deal to me for a reason. We know that John was an apostle, that he was actually with Jesus, walked with Jesus. Uh, he's a legitimate big deal. He is a real, true apostle in the truest sense. Look at how he identifies with you and I. He says, I, John, a bigger deal than all of you. Uh, no, he says, I, John, your brother, your both brother, and companion in the tribulation. John says, look, I'm, I'm relating to you guys as I'm your brother. We're part of the same family. Uh, note that he doesn't make himself a bigger deal than he is. Be weary of the people today that want you to believe that because of their position or title, that they're, they're greater than you. Whenever we gather as a church, who's great among us? It's Jesus. And anybody that inserts themselves there should be dethroned in your heart. John, will we all agree John's kind of a big deal? I mean, he was with Jesus himself, and John says, I'm just your brother. I'm just, I'm just one of the family. You know, the big deal is dad. Big deal is Jesus. I'm just one of you guys. We got to keep that heart about us 
as believers. God may elevate you. God may bless you. He may use you mightily. But we got to keep that heart about us that we're the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus. Amen. And we're blessed to be part of his family. So John says, I'm both your brother, but I'm also your companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. That would have meant a lot to the believers in John's day because they were all going through great persecution. They were living at a time where believers were openly, publicly persecuted, jailed, killed, beaten by these emperors. Uh, The Roman persecution was very heavy. And John said, look, I'm your companion in the tribulation. Um, I'm in this with you guys. I'm going through it as well. I think it's interesting that today there are many people that try to avoid persecution. And the way to avoid persecution is not to be outspoken about your faith. Uh, not to speak up, uh, maybe to to kind of bend and, and submit to the culture. Look at what John says he's been persecuted for. He says, I'm your brother and your companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos. Why was he there? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John says, I'm banished to this island because of two things, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, Obviously, John spoke the word of God. He, was a, he preached the word of God, and they wanted to stop that. He also was an eyewitness to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John said, I'm on this island for that too, my testimony about who Jesus is. And I want you to note that in the same way the enemy came against John to shut down his witness and to shut down his proclamation of the word of God, it brought heavy persecution upon him. The same is true in our world as things get darker and darker. Um, If you're going to be someone that stands on what the word of God says, that becomes your standard. You'll receive persecution for that. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't fall back. Don't let the culture mold you into its image. Definitely don't do this. Don't do what some people are doing, which is trying to adjust the word of God to fit the world. Y'all know that'll never work. If you change God's word to fit this world, it's no longer God's word. And you're no longer his witness. You become something else. And so John says, look, I'm here because of the word of God and my testimony for Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you guys that we would be okay with enduring persecution if it has to do something with God's word or our testimony for Jesus. Um, Don't succumb to the culture that wants to rewrite the Bible to fit what's going on. If I change what the word of God says, again, it's it's no longer the word of God. The, the, The world has become the authority. And so, and that's what they seek to do right now. And persecution will come. Jesus told us this. He told his disciples. He said, when all men persecute you, revile you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Um, That there's a reward in heaven for every time. If they revile you because you represent me well, don't shy away from that. Just know that you just cha-ching in heaven. Um, There's reward waiting on you in heaven. It'll be there when you get there. And just consider this. How long does a reward in heaven last? Think about that. Not that I'm trying to make people hate me, but if I I can get you mad at me for Christ's sake, I get a reward forever. I mean, y'all better be preaching more often. Some of y'all get to heaven and be like, man, I should have said more. I got nothing. Lucky to be here, you know, skin of my teeth. So moving on. He's there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. He says, for I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So here, uh, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So what does it mean to be in the spirit? 
Uh, it's a little different than just kind of generally walking in the spirit. It's not like John was in the flesh all week and then, but on Sunday he's like, now I'm in the spirit, you know, for this day. Uh, the idea is that he was in, a, it was in the spirit. He was in a spiritual state of being where he was communing with the Lord. This same phrase is said about John four other times in the book of Revelation. It's here in 110, it's in chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 17, verse 3, chapter 21, verse 10. Uh, and, and each of these are times where God is revealing things. He's communing with the Lord. This is so interesting to me because John is, he's not, he's not free. He's banished to the island. It's not like John could roll into church that Sunday morning, right? John's on the island of Patmos, but he found himself somewhere where he can commune with the Lord. And it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day would have meant Sunday for them, the first day of the week. And I want you to think about this. Think about the weak excuses people can make today for not coming together with the body, not, not seek. John's like, I don't even have a church to go to. So I'm just going to go somewhere and commune with the Lord. Lord, meet me, God. You know, just want just to be in this. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day, and God meets him in a special way. Um, God's obviously revealing these things to John supernaturally, and a little bit he's going to tell him to write the things down that he saw. But it says this, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, and so the first thing as far as this image of Christ, there's the, this loud voice. Before he sees anything, he hears. And there's a voice of a trumpet. Throughout Scripture, trumpets are used uh, to arrest our attention. Trumpets were used if someone was in the watchtower and it was time to go to battle or the enemy was coming. Trumpets were used for that. Trumpets were used to tell people it's time to go, it's time to go to war. So trumpets were to arrest our attention. And as John is here, the first way he hears God's voice is as a trumpet. God arrests his attention. And I would ask all of us here, does God have your attention? How often does God have your attention? Um, because a couple ways God can have your attention. You can just give it to him. You can wake up Monday morning and say, it's time for me to have time with the Lord. I'm giving God my attention. Everybody got up this morning. You guys could be anywhere you wanted to be. You drove here. You came to church and you're sitting in a chair saying, God, I'm giving you my attention right now. This is on purpose. I've intentionally drove myself to a place. I'm sitting down and I'm listening to him. Have you have my attention, Lord? Um, this, this is one way that we do it. When we, our devotional life is another way we give God our attention. Some people won't give God their attention until they're in a hospital bed with a, with a body cast and a trach. And they're like, God, I hear you now. You got me. You know, we don't want to have to have an emergency situation for God to have our attention. We want to give God our attention on a regular basis. Um, the interesting thing, he's available all the time. He said, if you draw near to me, what? I'll run from you. No, it says, it says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. He's not running from you. So I like to tell people that we're always as close to the Lord as we want to be. But John is here in the spirit on the Lord's day. Here's the voice of the sound of a trumpet. God arrests his attention. And it said to him, verse 11, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And before I go to the rest of the verse, so the voice that he hears is the Lord. It arrests his attention. And when he turns, when he turns, what he hears it say to him is, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. This is a title that belongs to the, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh. Um, this is his voice speaking. And he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. What does that mean? If God says, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm the first and the last, everything begins and ends with me. Everything is sustained by me. There's, that can't be said about anybody but the Lord. Nobody else is the beginning and the end. God is. That's unique 
a unique description about the Lord. Nobody else is the beginning and the end. You might be the middle. You might have you know, become at some point, God says, I'm, I'm Alpha and Omega. It's all from me, stemmed from me. I began it and I'll end it. It's all, everything is under my power. That was way, the, one of the ways that he would identify himself to John and to us. This is the second time he says that in Revelation. Um, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. It says, and what you see, he's commanding John now, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so he's told, John, I want you to write these things down. It almost seems as though if the Lord hadn't told him that John was just taking it all in, and God was like, hey, write this down, man. Get this, this down, want this recorded, you know. Write these things down. You know, when you pull up to have devotions, you should have something to write notes with, you know. Um, you should show up as though you expect to hear from the Lord. And that you're prepared to write down whatever he says to you. Even when we come to church, we should come prepared. God, I'm listening to hear from you. And the things that you speak to me, challenge me, share with me, encourage me, stir me, I want to write them down so I can remember them. A friend of mine, we were in D.C., and we prayed with this lady, and then she started, through her prayer, she started prophesying. I mean, it was just spot on. The, I don't know this woman. My first impression of her would have been that she's a little kind of out there, you know, uh, spiritually speaking. And then she wanted to anoint me with oil and pray for me. And I was like, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you pray for me. My friend was with me and he looked like, ha, you're gonna, you, you, she got you, you know. But this woman started praying and she's telling me what I do. I, I had a regular clothes. I didn't, I didn't have on pastor clothes. Uh, nothing about what we were doing said we were pastors. She's a woman tells me what I, that I'm a pastor. Um, she describes the city. She starts to describe our church. And then, then she begins to prophesy just some things that the Lord was going to do. And as I'm there, I'm, I'm taking it all in. I'm like, when she got done, I remember I grabbed my phone. And I'm like, I, I want to write this down because if it's, if it's from the Lord, I want to be able to verify the words. And me and my friend, and she prayed for him. Uh, and that was amazing. You know, she's, she's describing what he does and where he ministers. And uh, so we both are grabbing our phones and like, wait, what was that? What, is, what did she say right there? So we're trying to write it down because if that was from the Lord, I want to verify that. And I could say at this point that it was all from the Lord. Uh, that sister was filled with the Spirit, and moving in that particular gift. And so he says, look, write these things down. Why? Because it's not just for you, John. This is, this is going to go way beyond you. I want you to write these things down. And he tells John, I want you to send them to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he lists the seven churches. If you look at those churches on the map, they make what would be like a big circle. Um, some people say that that was the, the, the mail route uh, back in that time in history. And so um, as Jesus gives and his evaluation of each church, and I believe as we look at each church, we're going to see something of who we are. We'll learn a lot about Jesus as he gives us evaluations. How many of you guys get evaluations at work? Guys going for work. Okay, so if you go to an evaluation and if you've been doing good, you come in and they're like, hey, you've been doing a great. You're here on time every day. They can't say that about all y'all, but some of y'all are here on time every day. You, you've done a good job and, you know, maybe they give you a bonus and a raise and a pat on the back or whatever. But what have you been messing up in this review time? Bad feeling. I've had a review after messing up real bad at a job. It was my first job after I got saved, but I'll come to that. Jesus, what we learn about him is this. If there's anything good to say, he says it. If there's anything corrective to say, he gives a correction. And this is what I love about the Lord. Wherever he corrects you, he always tells them how to make it right. He never says, you're doing that wrong. Shame. Walk away. He says, this right here is not right. And he tells them how to get it right. 
So we're going to take our time going one church at a time looking at these things. But there was a job I worked at when I first got saved. It was a warehouse. And y'all know I'm a clown and I play around. I play too much sometimes. And um, we were every time after lunch, it was always uh, the guys are trying to see who could get to the bathroom to blow it up first. You know, so 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 everybody had to be in their wake. And so the lunch is about over. And I'm making my way, and I see this guy uh, behind me. He's, I can tell he's going to try to beat me. So we race to the bathroom, and um, he's catching me. There's these carts at work. I fling the cart out, and he tripped, and he fell. And then, so we both fall down, and then we look up, and there's the boss. And reviews were the next day. And so that was the worst review I ever had in my life. But uh, they didn't fire me, you know, but... Uh, I'll never forget that. So uh, I was excited to move from that job and get a fresh start at my next job. So, um, but we'll see how the Lord reviews the churches, and uh, it'll be a blessing. We're going to learn a lot about him because, look, as he tells us what he loves and what he doesn't love in the church, he's telling you and me what he wants and what he doesn't want. Amen? So we can be, as a church and as individual members of the church, we can conform to his image. We can, we can say, God, we want to be the kind of church you want us to be. I want to be the kind of Christian that you want me to be. He's going to explicitly lay that out to us as we cover the seven churches. So moving on now, he says in uh, verse 12 now, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So first he heard, now he turns around and he sees. He turned around to see the voice that spoke with him, and it says, he saw seven golden lampstands. I told you guys when we did the introduction to the book that sometimes in Revelation there are things that are symbols. Uh, the seven golden lampstands are symbolic. Here's what we don't do. We don't make up what it's symbolic of. I don't say seven golden lampstands. I think that's symbolic of and just start making up stuff. We look elsewhere in Scripture for clarity. What does seven lampstands mean? Sometimes we'll find it right in the text that we're reading other times, God will pull imagery from the Old Testament. And so we'll go to the Old Testament and see what it's talking about. The seven golden lampstands, so we don't have to make it up. If you skip down to verse 20, it tells us what it is. In, uh, so say in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So back to where we're reading in verse 12, he says, I, I turned and saw seven golden lampstands. So those seven golden lampstands are what? Seven churches. That's clear. That's not confusing, is it? It's not like this revelation is so scary. It's confusing. It's very clear. Seven lampstands, seven churches. It told us right there. Very clear. Here's a cool thing about a church being symbolized as a lampstand. A lampstand doesn't create light. It just displays the light. God says that's what the church is. We don't create the light, but we put it on display. Lampstand, it holds the, the light and it displays. And so a question we can ask ourselves as a church, as individual members of the church, as a church at large, are we a good light? Are we putting Christ on display? Because that's the light that we're supposed to be putting out. Churches can be known for all sorts of things. Are we putting Christ on display? Is the light of Christ shining through us as a body, through us as a church? Because that's our goal. As a church, if people come into this building and they leave from week to week, as they interact with the body of Christ here, what they need to leave knowing is Jesus. Amen. 
Would they need to leave thinking, man, Jesus is awesome. If someone's great when they leave here, we want Jesus to be great. That's what we want people to leave with. Then as you guys and myself, we're individual members of the church. As you leave this building and you go about your life, are you a good lampstand? Is Christ's life shining through you? We're so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Revelation can seem like a long book to work through, but it's all in the attitude you approach it. If you look at it as something amazing and inspiring that God has gifted to you to understand Him better, it helps you see everything with a different lens. Revelation is cool. It's a mashup of all the best elements of a sci-fi movie. But in reality, it will bring an amazing resolution to all that's wrong in the world. Isn't that what we all want? Look at the book of Revelation with appreciation of who God is and that He's the one in control. If you'd like to listen to more teachings in Revelation, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you're wanting to connect with someone more personally about this ministry, go ahead and call or text us at 310-245-4811. We'd love to encourage you as you're seeking God for wisdom, insight, and understanding. So please pick up that phone and dial or text 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this fascinating final book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today, and Pastor Bill will be back with more next time in the book of Revelation. Until then... Remember who God has created you to be in this broken and fallen world. Don't lose heart and stay connected to a transforming word.